You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. So Jason, it's December of 2023. You are in year three of your early retirement. And I want to do a check-in with you about your utilization of healthcare. You've had a couple of good years, and I know this past year had some health challenges for you and your family. So I'd like to walk through the process that you use to you know, reevaluate the plan, because I think you've said in the past, well, I chose a certain metal tier, and that's associated with a certain deductible and certain set of you know health sort of insurance coverages, but I re- reevaluate that every year just based on current health you know, maybe there's some health changes and Mm -hmm. your budget and those kind of things. So where are you at now? Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say first, you know, I'm, I feel very thankful that my family is, is very healthy, uh, on the whole, but we had this year, but let's just call it a perfect storm of different things go down, whether they be accidents or just healthcare needs or what have you No, no kind of ongoing conditions, but just kind of all this stuff hit at once. And we have consistently been on a bronze tier, um, high deductible health care plan. And that makes us HSA eligible. But that also means that we're responsible for an awful lot of out of pocket expenses up until we hit that deductible. And unlike the two previous years where we didn't come anywhere near it this year, we went well beyond it. And so, uh, good news is for the rest of the month, we don't have to pay for any health care. Uh, but that's not, that's not necessarily a good thing. Cause it means we paid a lot for health care to date. Yes. So yeah, at, this is the time of year where I, I reflect on that and kind of decide what to do uh, for next year's healthcare plan. We have till the end of the month to lock that in, and you know just evaluating that made this a really good time to talk about this. Let's um let's paint the picture a little bit here for anyone who's new to the channel and doesn't know your particular situation. You early retired in 2020. You have yep. a uh, spouse and a child. And, um, so that's going to, obviously we're focusing on us healthcare system. So you're utilizing the ACA, the California uh, exchange of the ACA, right? That's right. Yep. Covered California is California's state exchange under the affordable care act. Okay. So you're, and your age is what are you comfortable? Uh, Oh yeah. I'm, I like you am 50 as of this year. Thank you. 2023. (laughs) Your wife is slightly younger and yes. your child is um, 17, 17. Okay. So all of these things will impact your, well, among other things will impact what the ultimate premium tax credit will be yes. on an annual basis. So you've been through this system now a couple of years. I remember us talking early on, you extended your, uh, you, you chose Cobra, Cobra coverage, right? For your first year, essentially, or For- 18 months. Yeah, for the for the first portion. And that was largely due to deferred income. And also the fact that staying on Cobra meant that I had lower deductibles on a similar metal tier. So it just made sense to do that. But I've now had three years of the ACA and I'm now electing for 2024 as well. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about the metal tiers and the difference. Why choose bronze over another? Yeah, and so there's some really good interactive calculators and some tools that guide you either if you're in a state that uses the federal exchange or if you're in a state that has its own state-sponsored exchange uh, to help you decide based on how often you use healthcare, 
you know, how they guide you. And, uh, and obviously this isn't just about the past. It's about what do I think is going to happen next year? So right. it's a crystal ball question for sure. But the more data you have about previous years and obviously the older you get, you understand more what your health is like. Um, it guides you. And so it's basically like, do you have ongoing prescriptions? How often do you go see, need to go see the doctor? Do you have any ongoing other care needs that you're aware of or that you're concerned about? And then you basically decide, do I want to pay a high premium and pay much more, less out of pocket, have assuredness that maybe high value things are going to be taken care of? Or on the other extreme, are we rather healthy and we're very low burden on the healthcare system and then we pay a much lower premium, maybe even nothing. But if things do happen, you're going to pay more into it before the insurance starts helping you or covers the whole thing. And then there's somewhere in the middle as well where you know you're going to use it somewhat. So maybe you have co-pays, small amounts you pay every single time you access service, but your deductible is also lower. Uh, and so you, that's the process I go through every year is just look at what we spent have a brief conversation with Lori and my wife about what are we thinking for next year based on what we've seen. And then we just go ahead and do it. So that assessment part doesn't take very long because there's not really big changes at this stage year to year. And we have all the data about what healthcare we actually undertook because we have an HSA. And that means I have a nice, simple electronic record of all the care we got. So having the HSA naturally uh, is paired with your high deductible healthcare plan, right? So that's right. If you're comfortable yep. sharing, what are the costs here? Because yeah, I remember initially you chose the bronze plan because you said, "Well, we're fairly healthy. I think we're yeah. you know we have rather low utilization of healthcare, and I'm willing to take the bet that you know maybe every two out of ten years or three out of ten years might you know the spend might go above what I would expect to pay. That, um, that's right. So you kind of kind of rolled the dice. It worked out for two years. The last year it did not. <laughs> Yes, that's right. And I guess the first thing for people to know for those maybe newer to the topic, and obviously, you know, Eric, we've talked about healthcare twice before. I'll link those episodes in the show notes. But um, many people on ACA are relying on or hopeful for, uh, sometimes they're called subsidies, but they're actually called federal advanced premium tax credits. Um, and basically, that's an offsetting all the way up to, you know, the full cost of your healthcare that comes as a result of calculations involving what your income is going to be for the year. And so the first step I do every year and, and happens in everyone who uses an exchange, no matter what it is, is estimating your next year's income. And that's everything. So it could be fun jobs uh, for many retirees, especially early who can't touch retirement assets. That's the gains uh, and the taxes on those capital gains that come from selling assets. Or, uh, of course, you have dividends. And then if you do Roth conversion, so all these things that result in income determine your MAGI or your modified adjusted gross income. Uh, and there are different types of MAGI. This isn't meant to be a deep dive on that, but there's a lot of information out there. Anyway, you have to estimate your income. That determines your tax credit. And you're shown that up front in the process. And then the next step is let's go shop for plans. And so – Can I ask – can I pause there for a yeah, second? Yeah, please. Because the income – part of this. There's a lot of nuance to this. And there if, is. if you're further away from reaching financial independence and retiring early, um, you may not pay attention to all the details, but yeah. there, there's kind of, um, you really have to think hard about how you realize income yep. in retirement if you're planning on taking advantage of these premium tax credits. And true, one of the things that I think isn't fully appreciated is the benefits of having a taxable brokerage account, because this allows you to realize income 
But um, in reality, if you're buying something, the return of principal, you know, if you're selling assets in your taxable brokerage account and you have a certain amount of basis in those shares, return of principal does not count toward Magi, right? That's right. So yep. it's just know, the gains. So I think a lot of people will look at this and say, well, gee, Jason qualifies for all these premium tax credits and yet he's living this like large life in California. And how, how do I square those two things? And part of the magic of that is that you do have a taxable brokerage account, which has yep. a fair amount of basis in it. I have to imagine, right? For sure. But also something to think about is depending upon the year and circumstances that are largely out of your control if you're being a disciplined investor is you're rebalancing and that means you're selling things to generate income. And it's not necessarily a good thing uh, when you're selling everything at a loss, which, of course, a year ago was the case. Right. As you, right. you mentioned, I remember you asked me, you're like, so you're selling bonds, right? And I said, absolutely, I'm selling bonds. <laughs> and I was selling those bonds at a loss because equities were way down and bonds were down too, but they were down less. So I was selling things at a loss. So I didn't generate nearly as much gains that year, whereas this year it's a mixed bag, but on the whole up. And so I am generating gains. And so, yeah, that's out of a taxable account. So I have to think about that. And you know, that, that math, I actually look at it throughout the year, maybe a little okay. more granularly than I need to at this point, but I just monthly go in and do a quick update. I'm probably going to move this to quarterly next year where I just look at and it's just, I just grab it out of my brokerage account. What are my total you know, gains, my dividends, et cetera? And then I have my interest that comes from my banking, right? Uh, and then my, you know, any hobby income or our fun jobs, uh, anything like that all goes in. And then I can just see as I go throughout the year. And that's one way people identify like, oh, maybe I have more room to do Roth conversions this right. year, for example. But of course, now that's income too. On the other hand, if you are somebody that chooses to contribute to an HSA or you're still eligible to make Roth contributions or solo 401k contributions and, you know, things that may affect, you know, that may become deductible. Well, that also matters. And one of the nice things about at least I can only speak for and I should make this clear, I can only speak for what the California covered California workflow looks like. Everybody has to follow the same rules, but that doesn't mean the sign up form is as user friendly everywhere. It differs is, is what I'm told. So but in Cal California, they do guide you like they ask okay. you, are you going to make Roth contributions? Are you using an HSA? And so HSA, you yeah. just plop that in there and then it just tells you, well, based on that, this is what you're saying your income is next year. Is that right? So you're attesting to a certain income figure. You're, you're not, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You are. And yep. and there's actually, uh, and, and this is what's unclear to me. I, probably somebody from California will respond in the comments. But um, in the first and second year I signed up, I had to either supply objective evidence, which was, you know, pay, pay stubs and things like that, or... There was, a, and I called and asked about this because I said, I don't, I don't have everything, you know, because this, some of this is new yeah. and I don't, I don't, and they were like, oh, no problem. Here's a link. You just download this income attestation form and you just attest like, this is what I think my income is going to be. And it doesn't matter if you're a little wrong at the end of the year, if you, you know, under, you know, you have more subsidy than you're eligible for, it gets, you know, rec it gets reconciled in your tax return. If you had, uh, you know, your income is even lower, you could be eligible for even more benefit. The only thing they tell you is if it changes dramatically, you should let them know because yeah. then they'll change the way that your premium is charged out. But uh, yeah, so it does guide you. Okay. Because the income component of this to me is the, kind of the most complex part. <laughs> yeah. I stressed out the first year and as a, as a business owner, 
I can imagine it, it, it's only going to be more so. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've done further research since we've done two previous episodes on healthcare and I've done a bunch of research in the interim, seeing, my, you know, my fine number approach on the horizon. And then I have a yeah. lot of better information now. So the resolution on that is much, much better for me, but I, I don't want to focus on that for, for this particular discussion, but I do okay. feel like it's not always appreciated that taxable brokerage account, the value of it to securing some of these premium tax credits and also just thinking about, you know, your basis in it and also long-term capital gains rates are different and that has a Magi component to it as well. Right. Um, and I don't know if you're thinking about, I imagine you've spreadsheeted this whole thing out so that you're, I do. You've got your cells all red and green for hitting things and, or not hitting yeah, things. Yeah, it gives right? me confidence, honestly. I think, you know, some people in the FIRE community are total spreadsheet jockeys. There's yeah. a few that follow us, and I see their comments, and I see what they <laughs> post on Reddit, and it's really yeah. some beautiful work. Most people don't do that. I And I think I trend towards, like, the average to above average. I'm not a master of this stuff, um, but I do have little notes in there about this is the 0% capital gain ceiling this is the, you know, all, you know, all these kind of teasers, uh, just so I'm aware of it because, you know, a lot, a lot of people talk about, you know, well, you're not going to have to pay any cap tax on the capital gains because you're below the limit. And that is true, uh, for me at the present, but it doesn't mean that that doesn't affect the ACA subsidy. So right. you do have to think about it if you plan to, or investigating going on ACA. Well, I know this is a huge sidebar, but I had one more question about the income. So when you're sure. selling lots, um, in your taxable brokerage account, are you selling based on specific ID or, you know, highest in first out kind of? Yeah, I, I do have everything, uh, in the, the taxable in particular account set to a uh, specific lot. And that just allows me to, you know, maximize or at least to make choices based yeah. upon basis. Right. You want to make those choices, right? That's and right. That, and I think when you make that decision, I think it, it's, it's sticky for at least a while. As, as I yeah, that's recall. right. They, they do uh, notify you of that when you elect it first. I did it some years back, so I don't actually remember how it says it, but I remember being prompted. Okay, so you're, the first step in the whole process is to kind of estimate what you think you're gonna, your income is going to be for the following year. What's the next step? Next step is you'll get that kind of answer. What is your monthly premium uh, tax credit going to look like? And so now you have that number, and then the next step is go look at the plans. And at least in my exchange, and I, I have to believe this is probably the case everywhere, they show you each of the plans, but contemplating that tax credit that they've now told you you qualify for. And so while they show you in smaller font, for example, you know the actual cost of this plan might be, let's call it $2,000, they'll say, oh, well, you have a tax credit of 1000 and then the big number is you. You're, it would cost you a thousand, okay. right? That would be more like a gold plan or maybe a platinum plan in some states. Yep. Um, but yeah, um, so you go look at the plans, and you know there's a lot of in in my view. I can choose by provider. There's two major providers on the exchange in California, Metal Tier. You can choose HMO or PPO, and I feel like there's one more category. Oh yeah, HSA eligible. Um, and so you can just kind of filter that down. Um, and typically I'm looking at, I'm evaluating silver and bronze plans. So the first two levels, gold, and then sometimes I think there's still platinum, unless that's just a, uh, like a commercial healthcare thing. But, um, so I don't look at those top plans cause they're much more expensive, but you know, just for sake of example, a bronze plan might show that the monthly premium would be zero or very low. And then the silver plan might show a few hundred dollars. And then, so 
you will look at those. And, you know, I don't just look at that monthly cost for the premium because that brings me to the next step. What are the coverages? What are the uh, when does coinsurance kick in if it does? And, and what are your co-pays look like on a silver plan? And then what is your out of pocket maximum for yourself and then for your family? And, you know, are your doctors in plan for both providers. If you have existing doctors you've been using for commercial insurance, this was big in, in year one. Um, and then I just look at those side by side. I go back to my HSA spreadsheet and I make some, usually it's a hand wavy quick check. The first two years I said, yep, we didn't use a lot of healthcare. The first year my out of pocket was $3,500. The second year it was $1,400. And that was against a possible max you know, of like, let's say it's 13, 14,000, depending on the year. So I weigh, you know, was way under the limit. So it's a really quick exercise this year, not the case. So I actually went in and actually made a small model of had I had silver this year, based on what I'm seeing in front of me, this is what it would have cost for my premiums. If it's a few hundred dollars a month, plus making estimates about co-pays and things like that. And then I just, I just look at that, compare it to the bronze plan, which I know really well, and then I just have to make a decision. I literally just click a button and say, I want the silver plan or I want the bronze plan with or without the HSA eligibility. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often, we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Fi. Are you going to share your premiums? What were they? Yeah, so what I would say is, you know, without kind of being specific, uh, to date, bronze plans were usually very low to no cost per month. Um, and then silver plans were usually a few hundred dollars a month, uh, I would say, after um, the premium tax credit. So I am eligible for a pretty decent tax credit. We keep our income pretty low um, so far. Uh, if the market goes wild and things change a lot, well, then my income may change because I may be you know, having more gains right, versus that basis. Good problem to have. But right now, I'm eligible for you know pretty reasonable um, credits. Some people in our audience often ask about and talk about um, cost sharing reductions and you know silver, the different types of silver CSR plans that are available. Um, and those are if your income is, I believe it's below 250% of the federal poverty limit, the FPL, but above wherever the Medicare cutoff is. If you're in that window, there's different levels of cost sharing reductions that are available up to and including no deductibles at all. And so many people take advantage of those, especially in the lean fire community, but I'm not eligible for those uh, based on my family's income and our family size. If we had more children or we had a lower income, then that would be different. And certainly people you know, living in a lower cost of living area might have, uh, this might be a more common option. So certainly something to look into, but not and not something I have to add to that complexity. I would have to either reduce our income which would then mean changing our budget literally. So uh, not something that we're looking at. It's important to look at the total cost too. Yes. Right? It's like total cost of care. It's all, it's not only your premiums, you know, the meeting deductibles, it's the, the cost of eye care. If you have that as an issue, cost of pres prescription drugs, you know, any other out of network costs. Um, so there's yeah. a lot to figure in there. So did you add those into your calculations? 
Yeah. So, you know, good question. For us, the optical and dental benefits that are available on ACA aren't worth it. We've yeah. done that math in the past. The good news is that ACA does cover uh, things like routine dental and uh, eye care and basic glasses for children on ACA. And so we've, we've been able to, to take advantage of that for recent years. Uh, once the teen becomes a legal adult, I think that goes away. I think it goes away at 18, if I'm not mistaken, but I will obviously be looking into that soon. Um, but to date, that's been good. So in the numbers I gave about our healthcare costs, uh, vision and dental are not included because while those things are HSA eligible, which is good, um, I can keep records of those and someday take out of the HSA account based on that. They don't actually, uh, you know, go towards this um, spending for the affordable health care uh, plan that I have. Got it. So those are even higher because, yeah, we have multiple people with glasses and I, I unfortunately needed a lot of dental care this year, which is one of the things that drove my spending through the roof, but doesn't actually help me hit my medical deductible. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You do need to contemplate those and uh, they may make good sense for you. Dude, there's all those gold teeth you got. Show us the gold I, teeth. I have zero gold teeth, but I do unfortunately have quite a few crowns. And now as of this year, a dental implant. <laughs> no silver amalgam fillings in there. No, they're all gone. Uh, oh. They started to degrade uh, and produce more opportunities for cavities years ago. So those uh, those have been replaced. Oh, darn. Okay. I, I was hoping for a good thumbnail of you showing your new grill. <laughs> no, I, I only, at this point, I only have a composite uh, uh, crowns. And Boring. So they, they look just a little better than my regular teeth, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, I have no grill. Hey, I did want to ask you about this. It, it struck me that, you know, thinking about income and having to realize, you know, appreciated stock sale and things like that. Um, does this make a case for not carrying a mortgage into early retirement? You know, you're going to have to realize some income somehow to pay for that mortgage. Have you done the math on that at all? No, <laughs> I haven't done that math. Uh, <laughs> I usually think about the mortgage in terms of the interest rate versus the very, thankfully, the very low interest rate I still have versus the the potential income generation cost of keeping money in the portfolio. I don't haven't haven't layered in the income generation required to pay the mortgage. So good question. I haven't done the math. Well, it also tells me you're not close to the to the cutoff then, because you know if you are, you start thinking about those things. It's like, oh, how do I realize income in the most tax efficient way? And yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'll be candid, Eric. All these things are good problems to have, but it yeah. doesn't mean that I like thinking about this stuff. Yeah. You know, arguably, <laughs> while this system provides a lot of benefit to a lot of people, particularly having nothing to do with retirement, right? Just just people who are able to now access healthcare at more affordable prices, and please don't turn this into a political conversation in the comments, I'm not interested. However, for retirees of any stripe, this is complex. And to think about this and have to do this math in order to appropriately be able to leverage this and just use this system, there is a lot to know. Uh, and you know that has created an industry where there are you know, people out there, you know, that are available for a fee to help people pick plans. I've never used a healthcare insurance broker, but I know people who were on the fence about like, well, do I go private? Do I use ACA? I have some complicating factors. That's always an option out there. But I mean, arguably this stuff isn't simple. Yeah. I wonder if is you're a spreadsheet guy, have you done much modeling when, um, it's, just becomes you and Lori and your kid drops off the plan. And as you get older, you know, we have this gap between yeah. now and when, well, I guess they, you know, 
the full age for us is going to be 67 when Medicare kicks in now, right? If you say so, I don't actually remember. I think people <laughs> I just born keep after, thinking it, after it's 65 and it's far, but is it 67 now? I think anyone born after 1960, it, it, they okay. raised it to 67. So in the past, we've said 65, but there's this gap, right, between your age now and then. And obviously, premiums yeah. are going to go up. We don't know by how much. And then some of this you know, premium tax credit is going to go away. Is this just something you're going to reevaluate on a year by year basis and not something yeah. you're going to plan for long term? Or have you done any of that kind of modeling? Yeah, I, I have to admit, I've done fairly minimal modeling on this. I've done things like stick in some extra money after a certain year and then cre increase it again in my um, cash flows section of the, the safe withdrawal rate spreadsheet. This is pretty similar to what Karsten puts in the example. And I mean, honestly, I feel like it's better than nothing, but it's not great. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the good news is like for doing this kind of modeling of, you know, co-pays and, you know, what kind of co-insurance costs like, it's not trivial, but it's not hard because I did a quick run through of it this year just to make to make sure I was still, you know, of the mindset that, you know, sticking with bronze is right versus yeah. going to silver. And honestly, I just want to have something to show Lori because she's not going to do the spreadsheet <laughs> to say this is what I'm thinking we should do. Do you agree? And it was a really good discussion, honestly, because I was starting to lean towards like, well, maybe let's be more risk averse and go for a silver plan. She was like, well, hold on now. Like, in all honesty, based on these things, which are kind of one time events, like it seems to me, based on your model, we should just stick with bronze. And so that's where we are right now. I mean, we could change that in the next couple of weeks still if we want. But um, so I imagine doing something like that, especially as our healthcare situation starts to change. And it's just the two of us. If we have any more chronic issues, I think we're certainly going to have to do that. Uh, but so far, I've been taking it kind of year to year because we don't we literally don't have to do anything different outside of enrollment period unless you have some kind of life changing event, uh, just like you know, people are used to with their insurance through their employer, right? If you get married or have a kid or whatever, you become eligible to uh, enroll again. So besides that, it's just something I got to think about once a year. So you did the, um, you had a bad year last year and I presume yes. you plugged those numbers into your budget. How did it affect your overall budget? Like difference between a sort of good year and easy year, moderate year and a bad year. Yeah. So the, I think the good news story is that while we, by default, our budget is set up to under withdraw by having this additional medical expense largely, and then a couple of other one-time expenses, we came much closer to our maximum, our ceiling, if you will, okay. on the CAPE model than I, than I used to feel comfortable doing. I was surprised that it didn't scare me as time went on that I was just coming close to that ceiling because I know that there's still some conservatism built in there, right? It assumes I'm going to live to 220, not, not really, but it assumes I'm going to live a long time um, and that our, our spending isn't going to go down when we get much older. And so I was starting to get really nervous in the first six months of the year as we started to withdraw more often above our limit. But when I look at it in context of our ceiling, while we're the closest we've ever been to it, um, it's actually okay. So I think that idea that I've pitched before of like, you know, under withdrawing because it gives me confidence when we have to go over, like there's some merit to it. Um, but I'm not going to lie and say I wasn't nervous. I was, I was yes. getting pretty concerned about how much like, bam, $4,000 for a dental implant. Like that's all out of pocket. 
Um, that's big. And for many people that could be huge. Yeah. I was going to um, say, it, 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 I was wondering how it affected percentage wise, like, yeah, oh, it changed uh, my budget percentage by this or something, you know, it was like not. Well, the thing, honestly, Eric, the thing I started that I started doing it, that I initially, initially thought was just kind of over tracking turned out to make me feel really good at the end of the year. It's pretty artificial to think about budget on a monthly basis, right? It's just an, a period we've agreed to track as a budget. And so while I was going way over a couple months, well, I was under other months, but I kept a running total of what I, what, where I was for the year. I mean, it's a spreadsheet, right? It does that automatically. And at the end of the year, I was below the maximum for the year. So, you know, that having that little tracking tool in there at the end of the year was like, well, yeah, this is fine. But month to month, I was totally freaking out because in the month with the dental to answer your question, uh, I mean, that's like you're talking about like half the budget or, you know, something under half the budget or whatever. But it's a, it was a lot percentage wise. And thankfully, that didn't happen every month. But, you know, these things can happen, right? You, life isn't certain. And that's where the idea of sinking funds comes in and, you well, know, conservatism say, it, and budgeting. It kind of makes a, a case for your cash buffer a little bit, doesn't it? Because, yeah, that's I fair. Mean, you know, and especially when we're talking about realizing income and maybe wanting to defer some realization of, you know, selling stuff in your taxable brokerage so you don't have to, you know, exceed a federal poverty yeah. limit. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, there's lots of reasons for having a cash buffer, but this kind of uh, bolsters the case for, for having one, I think, when you're starting to really yeah. utilize ACA subsidies. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good way to look at it. Uh, thanks for pointing it out. Um, it, and people people differ on this, right? We get comments all the time, and and many bloggers have written about this, like why I don't keep an emergency fund. You know, Carson's one of them. Um, not that he doesn't have a cash allocation, because he pretty clearly told us he did when we spoke to him on two sides of five. But um, you know, that's right. It it does serve a lot of purposes. It's not just mental comfort, which is what a lot of people talk about, including me. But uh, yeah, it is. And I kept two years of cash buffer. For the first two years and i've decided for 2024 i'm actually going to bring that down to 18 months and i think that's okay um i still don't want to have to sell when i don't want to sell except to do my rebalancing but yeah i guess i feel a little more comfortable than i did previously okay so you're uh you're going ahead with the the bronze plan right i think so i i think it's i mean i'd say it's better than 80 percent likely there's we're not going to change it um i think we're probably done talking about it <laughs> I'm not going to give you 100% just because, I don't know, Lori's visiting her folks. You know, people oh, yeah. talk about their health when families are together. Maybe she'll come back and be like, you know what? Let's be a little more conservative. We'll pay a little more out of pocket. But honestly, I was pretty happy that she used the financial argument to uh, <laughs> to justify staying on bronze. She's like, no, look at the numbers. She's like, I, we should stay on bronze. I'm like, all right. I thought you were going to say uh, you, you took her bike out back and smashed it to pieces. <laughs> No, I mean, the bike was one source of healthcare spending this year, but uh, it turns out the bike is more durable than uh, the human body. So <laughs> bikes don't get hurt as much in accidents as the people do. Exactly. Keep her away Thankfully, from Thankfully, she's fine now in case anyone is worried. Nah, nobody's fine. worried about that, man. We cared more about the bike. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty nice bike. Does anyone want to buy it? <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about healthcare for the entirety of the, you know, more than three years now, three and a half years that I've been retired. Um, but, you know, we've had I've had a little bit of a shock to the system this year. Yep. Um, I, I'm still standing. But, you know, this is more information for you about 
what could happen um, in uh, once you start using this healthcare system. Sure. I know your situation is different with the business, but where does it find you thinking high level? I mean, it's great to have this information. I feel like... <laughs> I feel pretty naive going back and listening to those earlier healthcare episodes. I was completely in the dark about it. And so over these past couple of years, I have learned a lot, um, not only from you, but also from Amy and seeing your experience is helpful because at some point we're going to be utilizing this system. Uh, at present, you know, the plan is to have the business take over the health insurance. And so that that becomes a business expense. And there's kind of technical ways of managing that. But, you know, just in terms of budgeting for it, it's a big expense either way. You know, if I didn't have the business, I it's definitely was in the budget and the original fine number for a certain amount of money. And it's helpful to see how you've managed both the good years and the years that are challenging because, you know, they're inevitable, right? It's going to totally. Come. And so to have a plan for it is the is the right thing. And then to just reevaluate. It's helpful to see your process and hear about that. And I'm glad that your your family has uh, weathered the <laughs> the storm, <laughs> right. so to speak. Who <laughs> knows right. what's around the corner, but um, that's why you have insurance, right? It's why we have insurance because there's going to be fishing accidents, biking accidents, and whatever else. And we had all those and more this year. So there you have it. <laughs> all right. So is this what's scaring you off from biking around Iceland or is, is it something else? No, no, it's not that at all. I just don't love road cycling. It's not not my thing. Mountain biking is much more interesting. Well, I mean, it's it's not like road cycling. Well, it's still roads and there's cars and no one gives cars room and Black you know sand all the beaches. usual. Come on, man. I've been to the Black Sand Beach. It's cool. I, w I would I would like to go there again. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll try and keep it healthy. Let's keep it healthy. And, uh, you know, to be clear uh, and just kind of as a reminder, there's so much good information out there on this topic. I'm going to link a lot of stuff in the show notes that I have found from people who have really done the math on these things. And I've used some of those resources too. So don't forget to check out two sides of That's where you're going to find the show notes for this. So if you made it, it to the end, yes, you must leave a review. Our, uh, that's it. Uh, our reviews are not moving at all. We have all these not. people emailing us and leaving comments. We love your show. I love your show, they do. but they haven't left a review. It's very easy. Tap sure. that star button on your podcast app of choice and actually a written review just saying how amazing this show is, is super helpful. So we appreciate you. Yeah, we totally, totally appreciate you. Thank you everyone for supporting us uh, and be healthy. Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com. <laughs>